This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I trust you all had a good, relaxing, uh, restful, long holiday weekend. Um, And the big news that headed into this weekend was the fact that the crab fishery now underway following a tense few weeks. The stakes, of course, are high, but the price set by the fish price setting panel this spring was low. And that resulted in harvesters deciding not to fish for the price set. And a series of marathon talks ensued to negotiate changes. Well, uh, market conditions, of course, failed to improve. In fact, the Erner Berry price dropped since the initial price was set, putting harvesters, some of whom had to fish to pay the bills, in a very difficult position. Well, after six long weeks, a release came down Friday afternoon indicating that a deal had been struck to get harvesters back on the water. The Association of Seafood Producers called a news conference this afternoon to reiterate some of what Executive Director Jeff Loader told your VOCM mornings with Ben Murphy and Jerry Lynn Mackey this morning. But as you will hear, Loader took a swipe at those who used what he called threats and intimidation to keep people from making the decision to go out on the water. I'd like to start by thanking uh, the Premier, Minister Bragg, as well as Minister Davis for their role in encouraging a fact-based market discussion last week. Uh, which was very important in finding a a way forward to begin the 2023 snow crab season. Uh, We are relieved that we have some stability in the price and the fact that the 220 is the price set by the price setting panel and that is the price for the start of the season. We've agreed uh, to some incremental bumps in the price Uh, which was very consistent with the conversations uh, regarding a formula uh, before formal collective bargaining started a couple of months ago. Uh, We are frustrated and we are disappointed that we could not have had those discussions at that time. They were disrupted by members of the FFAW, uh, which led to a situation where we've lost over six weeks of the season. We're going to do everything uh, in that we possibly can to ensure uh, an organized uh, fishery with trip limits that are enforceable. And the FFAW and ASP are meeting today to have that discussion. Our focus today is on creating value. Uh, We have a shortened season. We have an increase in quota. And it's very important that we keep our focus not on what has happened, but where we need to go. And where we need to go is to get snow crab out of the water, processed, and into markets so we can create stability, rebuild the relationships that we have with consumers across the United States, and I look forward to working with the province um, to uh, invest in uh, new markets and marketing uh, programming to ensure that uh, snow crab from Newfoundland and Labrador uh, achieves the highest possible value in the market. It's important that all parties at this point remain focused on that. And that is what our focus is today as an association, and it will be there for the rest of this year and for the years to come. With respect to changes to the current regulatory system, um, ASP agrees that as a matter of good public policy, we continuously review 
the system. That includes the Fish Collective Bargaining Act and the Master Collective Agreement between the FFAW and ASP. Last year, there was a similar conversation, and changes were made to the system. We cannot have a system whereby one party, if it doesn't like the outcome of that system, can simply ask for the system to change. That is the fundamental problem with the system right now, and it needs to be addressed. Uh, our members have committed to the province that we will sit down and we will work through uh, the issues that exist in the current system. But I would like to acknowledge very clearly uh, uh, that the integrity and the leadership shown by the price uh, setting panel this year was a significant improvement from previous years. The presence of an independent, properly trained chairperson is critical to any system moving forward. But we are open, and we will always be open, to working on the system to avoid situations where the livelihoods of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are uh, caught up in this type of situation again. And uh, as a final note, uh, the reason our association signed the proposal put in front of us on Friday was for our workers, for our employees, and for the businesses in this province who rely on the snow crab fishery. It's critical next year that that doesn't happen again, uh, and we need to talk about how we address those issues. It's not just a, a snow crab issue. It's also a lobster issue. We have a broken formula on lobster that needs to be addressed. 17 weeks of negotiations on 17 different species, as it's currently set up, is not necessarily conducive to outcomes that are in the betterment of Newfoundland and Labrador. And we need to have that broader discussion. And I look forward to starting that uh, as soon as possible. And I will be meeting with the relevant ministers in the next couple of days to put our positions out there in terms of how that process should unfold. Thank you. What have you lost as a result of this protracted, not strike, but uh, I guess pushing off of the, of the fishery this year? So ASP did not push off the season at any point. The Association of Seafood Producers were ready and prepared to purchase crab at the price set by the price setting panel in the middle of April. The people hurt by this were plant workers and businesses, as well as harvesters and producers in the extent that we've lost out on an opportunity when our Atlantic uh, uh, counterparts were selling snow crab into the market without the presence of Newfoundland producers. We're going to do everything we can to overcome those impacts, but there's no question this was not the image that should have been sent out to global markets. I guess, you know, when we look back six weeks, 220 was your offering uh, for, for, from your association. Here we are. It's 220, six weeks. Uh, what, what do you think? There's a lot at play here over the last six weeks. What do you think, you know, really caused this not to take off a few weeks ago? So, I, I mean, there are obviously various reasons that... Uh, or various factors that fueled and allowed this type of situation to occur. Uh, some of it was clearly protests and threats and intimidation 
by members of the FFAW, not necessarily the FFAW, but components of the FFAW. We lost a full week of formula discussions right here in the Sheridan Hotel because there were protests from harvesters. The numbers that were agreed to last week by ASP, which were tabled by the FFAW, were very close to the types of conversations we were happen happening back then. From then till now, there has been a lot of, uh, I'm going to continue to use the phrase misinformation. Uh, it's going to be very important as we work through changes that are, that are required to the Master Collective Agreement and the Fish Collective Bargaining Act that we have a forum where all of the information, market facts, and market analysis are provided openly and fair to everyone in the province. As I have been saying for several months now, we will, as an organization, tomorrow, next week, next year, continue to put out fact-based information on the reality of where the market is and associated uh, um, cost structures that impact the ability of producers to get a return. And we will be expecting harvesters do the same thing because that's the very essence of a formula and how a, a good formula could work. So that's the executive director of the Seafood Producers Association, Jeff Loader, who held a news conference this afternoon, pretty much reiterating what he told our morning show this morning on VOCM, uh, but adding in, um, you know, discussion about uh, um protesters, not necessarily the FFAW as he put it, but components of the FFAW that made uh, the negotiation process a little bit more challenging. When we come back, one union leader comes down heavy on the FFAW following a protest outside the West White Rose construction site in Argentia last week. This is News Talk on VOCM. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Well, last Thursday, you may recall, a group of harvesters blocked the gates at the Argentia construction site where work is underway on the West White Rose project. The group had previously demonstrated outside the FFAW building on Hamilton Avenue in St. John's before moving on to the Provincial Fisheries Building on Strawberry Marsh Road. Uh, that same group later showed up in Argentia, drawing the ire of president of the Carpenter Union Local 579, Mike Williams, who I spoke with earlier today. My response to the protest was I was very disappointed to see what happened out there on Thursday. Uh, the Carpenters Union in particular, we have roughly 300 members working on that site. And, and for the record, I want to make note here that the Carpenters Union in the province of Newfoundland Labrador and its membership we support the fishery of the province. We, we support the fisher people of this province. We've always supported them. Uh, all of our membership, we have a connection to the fishery one way or the other, or to our grandparents, our parents, siblings, friends, neighbors, whatever. So we're connected to the fishery, and we've always supported the fishery, and we'll continue to support it. However, we do not support the actions of FFAW Unicor on the day in question. Now, I am hearing I am hearing that FFAW are saying that they had no part in this, and that's fine for them to say it, but why were they not on site Thursday 
trying to put a stop to this. Uh, we have a lot of members out there. They were put in harm's way. They had to make decisions for their livelihood or the livelihood of, uh, of another, uh, another group of uh, workers in the province. So we're not happy with how this uh, went down out there on Thursday. And it's, uh, to me, it was a slight against the construction industry. And, uh, you know, like I say, we're, we're just not happy with this. Uh, we don't understand it. We don't see the connection between the fishery and our industry, and we, we don't understand why this took place. And what I really don't understand is why the FSAW Unifor did not come out Thursday and try to put a stop to this. That's what's baffling to me. So you wanted to see them at least um, publicly condemning uh, that action? Absolutely. It should have been condemned because our, our, our workers... Our members and all the members on that site, we should not have to make a decision there Thursday what we were going to do if we were going to try to go through a line or if we were going to stay working for extended hours. I mean, most of these guys working on that site, guys and gals, actually, they work a minimum of 12 hours. They're driving roughly an hour, an hour, 20 minutes both ways to work, and they were basically had to stay on that site for extended periods of time before they could go home. Uh, you know, it... <laughs> It, it was put in our membership in harm's way, in my opinion. Uh, this is very hard work to spend on on that site. People are tired after 12 hours, and then to end up having to stay on site with all the strikes that was going on that day, uh, it's, you know, I, I, I can't condemn the actions of SFAW for here. I, I think it's uh, it was apprehensible what happened out there, and, and I really don't understand why there wasn't something done by their leadership to uh, try to put an end to this when it started. Have you been in direct contact with the FFAW on this? Uh, no, I haven't. I do know I do know that uh, uh, one of the members of the Council of Unions did reach out at the time, but they, uh, they didn't get a hold, and so and I haven't talked to them over the long weekend. The president of the FFAW uh, says that Trades and Ill has acknowledged that this was uh, not uh, an FFAW-sanctioned uh, action. Um, are you satisfied with that? No, I'm not satisfied with it because if Trades and Ill acknowledges that this was not a, a sanctioned uh, sanctioned by the FFAW uniform, how come they haven't come out and said that? They haven't come out and said that. You know, the Federation of Labor, the Federation of Labor hasn't made no statement to this. This is concerning to us as a labor organization why the 1,400 people working on that job site had to go through this on Thursday, and nobody, not one union has stood up and defended the membership on that site. It's not right. I, I think the people working on the Husky site deserve more, and I... And, uh, I'm actually taken back that Trades and Ella could make a statement like that, that they, that the FFAW had nothing to do with it. That's uh, that's concerning to me. Very concerning. That's the first I've heard tell of this, actually. Mike Williams, you've been very publicly uh, um, um, critical of, of what happened there and, and how it impacted your, your membership. Will you be reaching out to the FFAW at any point to uh, convey these feelings? Presently, I have no... Uh, presently, I will not be reaching out, but I do feel like in the next week or so there will be a conversation, but right now, right now I have no intentions of reaching out. My uh, my immediate attention will be given to my membership on site out there as uh, as always, and we're going to try to hopefully put this behind us and, and move forward. But once again, I will say that uh, the actions of Thursday are uh, 
you know, we don't condone it. It wasn't right to put our membership uh, our membership in a place where they had to decide whether or not they go to work to feed their families or or they stay outside a uh, a, a picket line that has absolutely nothing to do with our industry. Mike Williams, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. And uh, that's uh, Mike Williams with the Carpenters Union Local 579. And you can hear in his uh, voice, he's not at all happy with how that all went down on Thursday. Now, the FFAW has uh, denied it had anything to do with it. It it was not a sanctioned FFAW protest. And we're going to hear more from uh, Greg Pretty in the next half hour or so on that. Um... In the meantime, uh, I'm just trying to find a little something here from the House of Assembly today, uh, and it's uh, not striking my eye. I might have to get uh, Mr. Richard Duggan uh, aboard. Um, Hello, Richard. (laughs) Uh, Ricky was supposed to leave me a little bit of um, audio from the House of Assembly, and I'm not finding it for some bizarre reason. So uh, I just have to uh, wait and see what's going on. In the meantime, Claudette, what did you do? this long weekend well you know i mean i could try to sugarcoat it and make it more sensational than what it was how would i do that well (laughs) i i did a hybrid approach the may 24th weekend so i stayed home for a little bit and then went out for a little bit to my parents cabin so um i find the and i enjoyed it but I find the whole getting ready to go out anywhere, especially when you eat differently than how everybody else does. Like, I have to cook up my own meals and then cart them in this big cooler that plugs into my car. And <laughs> Oh, that sounds like too I'm, much effort. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> it's high maintenance for me. This is like years ago. I'm, I would be satisfied with, like, a hot dog and a tin of beans on toast. But no, I have to have all my fruits, my nuts, my seeds, my stuff to make a salad. You know what? (laughs) I get it. Especially as you, dare I say it? Get older. Get older. (laughs) You realize that, wait a minute, there's this whole vast array of food that I can no longer digest. <laughs> you, I can no longer eat like I was 18 anymore. Yeah. You know, I, Isn't that I, something I people used to say, oh, you then. can't drink like you used to, but no, you can't eat like you no, used to. No, you can't. Like, not if you want to keep up your health. So I, you know, I'm, I realize that I am not the norm. I realize that most people aren't packing avocados and cucumbers and everything to make salads and then all your protein on the side. And so along with this gigantic on wheels cooler that plugs into my car, I also had to have my bags of dry stuff that the non-perishables for two nights. It was like, I need options. Most people need options with shoes and clothes. I need options. Did you have a good time in your garden or anything? I did. <laughs> it's not all about me. This is part of the reason why I don't camp. But it, uh, okay. I've I've seen people going through the prep. Yes, it's the prep that for camping, you. and then the disassembling and putting away of all this stuff. Oh yes, I'm still at that stage. Yeah. So I mean, if it takes that much effort, I. Know, but you know, I think if you were to talk to real diehard people that either go to the cabin or camper, it's part of the fun. It's part of the fun. Yeah. And. 
they're probably doing it throughout the week, you know. So come the weekend, they're 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 wanting to go right at Friday. I'm one of those people at Friday after working all week. I do not want to try to pack everything. I need a day of reprieve, and then I'll mosey along and put everything together but the diehards get everything ready on a front like before friday an awful lot of people are far far more organized than i am <laughs> yeah i envy them in many ways um it maybe it limits me i don't know no you know you <laughs> seem to have a smile on your face doing things in metro so everybody is so different well, right? i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say that um no do you like to get away not now and then disparaging um the st john's metro region at all no. i do love my time around the bay mm-hmm. i must say but i do go to homes around the bay yes i do too cabins <laughs> that kind of thing so i had a great time when i was there i mean all i had to do was heat and eat all of my meals yeah um, but one thing that I, and I mentioned this on the air earlier on, one of the things that I actually appreciated was the fact that there was no um, internet or I couldn't watch TV. So dad and I had to just kind of go through old movies. And when I say old movies, it was <laughs> 2003 and it was fantastic. And it's still, um, the humor still translated into today. So it wasn't something that I hated watching. I loved it. And now I'm on this kick now where I want to know about what other people are watching. Um, It just highlights the little things in life. It amps it up. So I liked it. I find uh, nowadays, if you watch an old show or an old movie, Mm -hmm. sometimes some of the life gets sucked out of it because times have changed so dramatically in some ways. You're right. And and it doesn't resonate the same way. It doesn't resonate the the same. same. And you might feel nostalgic about it and then you watch it and you go and, and you're oh. disappointed yeah. but the one that I saw what was it something something's got to give with Jack Nicholson and uh, Diane Keaton that one still resonated and I still left I would assume just as much as I did 20 years earlier but there are those shows that I loved in the heyday that now they're cringe worthy yeah yeah but truly funny stuff yeah stands the test you're right and yeah. certain actors that you just follow certain ones they just know what roles to pick uh, yeah, there's a there's a skill in that. Yes, Robert De Niro, <laughs> right? Uh, there's a skill in that. Um, anyway, we're up to news time now. Uh, thanks, Claudette, for telling us all about your life. Right? I know <laughs> people are probably rolling their eyes, but I'm hoping somebody out there kind of felt that they had the same story as I did. I no, don't know. I, I'm sure there <laughs> are lots. Uh, I got to do a little bit of gardening, not as much as I wanted right. to, because... The frost, well, right? the wind, the frost, the rain, yeah. the wind, the wind. The wind was uh, really I bad I was hoping to sow a few hardier type seeds oh. uh, during the wind, and I was like, I can't do this. They're- right. Who knows where we're going to end up? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> somebody else's lawn. There you go. Uh, we're up to news time now with uh, Noah Shepard. When we come back, we're going to hear what FFAW President Greg Pretty has to say about um, the end to this uh, impasse in the crab fishery. Coming up right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, the impasse over the crab fishery now over, but the discord created over the last few weeks lingers. We heard from ASP Executive Director Jeff Loader and from Carpenters Union Local 579 about some of what's happened over the course of the last few weeks, um, not to mention a protest in Argentia last week. Now, FFAW President Greg Pretty joins us. Well, Greg... 
Pretty, the uh, fish harvesters uh, are back on the water. Uh, what are you hearing from your members? Well, a uh, sense of relief uh, for most people that uh, they're back at uh, what they do best, uh, looking forward to it. Uh, there, there are a couple of issues here that, uh, that are in the deal uh, that we struck on Friday um, that need to be in the public, and I want to talk about that today, Linda. All right, what are they? Well, number one, on the minimum to 220, uh, people are just brushing over that as if it's you know pretty insignificant. Yeah, it, it was the price that the FOS spit out uh, back in uh, back in March, but you know what's happened since the six weeks over the six weeks that we collectively, we asked, have bargained a a minimum price of 220 for the entire season. So that's pretty significant. Uh, why is it significant? Well, I'll give you an example. If we were fishing right now under the old system and had asked gone for reconsideration, the price would probably be down around 180. So there's 40 cents, minimum of 40 cents built into every pound now. So that's that's extremely significant because that's, that was a guarantee that we, we negotiated. And it, it means a lot, particularly in uh, uh, the way the market's been, been behaving. The second issue uh, of equal importance is that, you know, I did a lot of talking about um, a formula over the last number of months. Well, I'm happy to report that this deal would ask. Both parties have agreed to a rudimentary formula which will provide increases if, in fact, the earner Barry price rises in the 485 to $6 range. And that's significant. There's four bumps in there. So harvesters could get up to uh, 275 if, if, in fact, the market reaches a, a, a approach of $6. So that's something that was never in FOS, and it's there now for this year. So that's extremely important. It's the start of a formula, and there's a guarantee in a declining uh, price market, price range, that uh, that money will continue. So these are important aspects that uh, I've noticed over the weekend people really didn't appreciate. And on that, uh, it seems to me that, that there was uh, several times now when either the union thought it had a deal or was very close to a deal, yet um, what was uh, agreed to was rejected by the membership. So what does that say to you? Does that indicate a lack of trust by the membership into the process or into um, the negotiations or, or insufficient communication on behalf of the union? What does it mean? No, we, we had a, a, a lot of uh, communication with members over, over the past six weeks on, on various issues. But it's important to know once again that this was the FOS system. Harriser stopped fishing. It wasn't a strike. It wasn't an official uh, uh, job action. The price was that poor that harvesters had to stop fishing and and did. And as a result of that... Uh, we took the, I hate to say unprecedented because it's vastly overused, but we took that, that um, uh, action of actually bargaining, sitting down post-FOS and trying to hammer out a price. And yes, you're right. Uh, things, uh, 
things had a way of disappearing in this process. Um, the price was on the table. It came off the table. But the important part is that at the end of the, the day on Friday, we were able to strike a deal that included the 220 maximum, uh, the minimum price, I'm sorry, uh, for the duration, which is a great protection in this market. And we also established that rudimentary formula. So those are two very significant things arising from from that. And by the way, there was no there was no playbook in this because we were actually bargaining outside FOS and uh, to, to get the fishery going. Now I'll say this to you: I I never anticipated an FOS price that that would have arrived and actually shut down the fishery, which is what happened here. So that that in itself was we hadn't seen that before. And uh, as I said, there was no playbook. So we had to pick our way through that to reach a a desired uh, result uh, for the industry. The other thing that's significant here is that the premier has met us several times with ASP. Uh, He met our bargaining committee uh, last week, uh, 15, 16 member bargaining committee. So we have a commitment from the Premier, and he's, he, did, he did a great job uh, on that issue because one of the things that's happened here is that this process has shown that, you know, even though we fixed this system or tweaked the system last year, it still needs a lot of work. The Premier is committed with ourselves and asked to look at that uh, to ensure that we're working towards a formula over the summer and fall and into next year to make sure that this situation doesn't happen again and that we can have uh, orderly fisheries as as this was intended. So what needs to happen in order for that to uh, go ahead? Will that price need to be binding? Is it binding now? Well, for all intents and purposes, it's binding now. One must be careful with that that premise. Uh, First of all, any time a price comes out, if a a harvester doesn't have to fish the price, uh, he or she can make a decision based on their own economic circumstances not to fish. Similarly, on the on the processing side, we you may have a company there that, for whatever reason, will decide that well that price is too low, the market price is too low. I, I may not buy. So that's that's a bit of a quid pro quo for both both sides. Uh, so that's there. You got to be very careful if talking about a system where people have to go. I don't think 2023 is a good year for processors to reintroduce leg irons and shackles into uh, the Newfoundland fishery. So uh, that's our position on this. So six weeks in, um, markets have dropped. Uh, do you feel that uh, this this delay was worth it? Given the fact that the minimum right now, we're talking about 40 cents per pound that wouldn't be there had a reconsideration taken place and 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 been won by the other side. So that's significant. You know, over the course of the fishery, God, God knows it doesn't stay like it is, but that value on the overall tact is about $50 million. So that is significant. Uh, are working towards together, both parties working towards a formula. That's significant. And that formula, as I said, wasn't there six weeks ago, but it's built in there now. I know it's only for one year, but I think 
that's something that we have to have in the future to ensure uh, that we have orderly orderly fisheries. The fact that processors may not process, harvesters may not harvest because of low prices, that's built into the system, and I don't think I don't see that changing. But the important thing for us is that that market starts to creep up in the right direction, and I think that'll fix that'll fix uh, what's wrong with this uh, current situation. What's ahead now for the FFAW? You've said it. Many others have said it. This has been a, a rough and tough uh, go, uh, but it has really helped to illustrate, I guess, or entrench some of those divisions that are within the union and some of these factions. Of course, I was talking to Mike Williams, and he's still quite upset with what happened with the protests down in Argentia last week. And I know you were on open line this morning saying, you know, it wasn't a union sanction event, but he wants to see that uh, soundly condemned by the FFAW, those actions. Um, so what's ahead for you? I mean, in terms of building or rebuilding or or solidifying this this union membership? Well, Linda, you know, uh, poor old Mike, right? Uh, Mike, Mike should get an internet connection, right? Because uh, I have uh, I have messages from uh, Trades NL that uh, recognize that the FFAW didn't orchestrate or instigate. Um, uh, blockages, roadblocks at uh, Argentia. I mean, for this guy, this guy to say that uh, what's he what's he really saying that I orchestrated a, uh, a demonstration against my own building, then went to the fisheries minister's office, and then went to Argentia. I mean, is he is that is that what he thinks? Well, you know, he needs to get uh, get on with his uh, get on with his work. The fact of the matter is is that we didn't do that. So I'm not going to apologize to Mike or anybody else uh, uh, f- for what happened on Friday. I've had lots of demonstrations in this province, had uh, several in the last couple of weeks, and uh, there, were no, there was no violence. Um, people demonstrate in a peaceful manner. And, uh, you know, just to, to keep on saying well after the fact, well after the news reports, <clears throat> you had to ask Mike what his agenda is. But do you condemn um, those actions? Well, of course, Linda. Of course, we, we condemned uh, violence everywhere, uh, intimidation, uh, harassment. Uh, you know, you know that uh, going right back to our first day of, uh, of uh, bargaining, uh, that our bargaining was shut down. And uh, we lost three days in the first week. And, the, uh, you know, the, the, the harassment continued. Uh, through the whole process, we, we, and our executive board has taken um, taken a motion against uh, that. Uh, our insure council has done the same thing. I mean, there's no way to operate. We can, we operate on a higher level than that. We, we always have. We always will. So, with respect to rebuilding, you know, there's, you know, the, this guy in particular, Sullivan, he spent six years of his life tearing up this union. Six years. Can you imagine? And, and and then at the same time has has online has harassed individuals online, has you know called them silly names uh, online, uh, but it has effect on people's families, and uh, so we, we we take a great umbrage to that, and and uh, you know hopefully at some point that will stop. But you know business continues here. Um, we just struck a turbot uh, deal today with us uh, on another front. 
So we have a rollover on turbo prices. That's that's pretty good. So, you know, there's work to be done. We'll continue to work. And by the way, you know, they can say Greg Pretty this and Greg Pretty that. But, you know, Greg Pretty operates with a, with a, a bargaining committee. I had 16, 15, 16 people with me on, on CRAB. Uh, they are the experts. I take my advice from them. And, uh, and that's how we operate. This is not a, a done in a vacuum. Uh, but it's it's important that uh, that we have that leadership, and that leadership will will build the union. Always has, and yeah, we were in tough times. But you know, we're no good in peace, are we? Not much good in peace. So uh, you know what? When when the chips are down, you can depend on, on us. Uh, that's based on our tradition to come up with with solutions and fixes to to these things. And what's happened uh, since? Uh, since uh, Friday uh, with that deal has certainly enhanced uh, the viability of this fishery, and I'll stand by it, and um, our committee stands by it too. Greg Pretty, I do appreciate your time. Uh, Thanks so much. Anytime. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. FFAW President uh, Greg Pretty. Well, coming up, traffic cameras have been set up in some busy traffic areas as part of a new government pilot project to reduce speeding, especially in school zone areas. Brian Medore joins us with a wrap-up on that coming up right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And we're back. Newfoundland and Labrador going high tech to catch people who speed on the province's highways. VOCM's Brian Medore was at a news conference in Paradise this morning with Minister Sarah Studley. Traffic cameras, which have been used in other provinces for some time, Time, will be installed in Paradise and Mount Pearl this summer. Only on a trial basis, though. It means nobody is going to be ticketed for keeps. All they get is just simply a notice. The information is going to be used to form a database to help determine what kind of numbers they're actually looking at. Government Services Minister Sarah Studley noted that drivers will be notified of an offence but not ticketed. That won't come until the next phase when real tickets will be mailed. We do want to automate as much as possible in our, uh, as we work towards our final solution, but at the moment, so I just want to, the towns are doing a lot of heavy lifting, so thank you so much. So what is actually going to happen? Uh, speed cameras will be installed in various locations in Mount Pearl and Paradise over the summer. There's going to be signs alerting people that there is a camera, a speed camera. And so we are trying to reduce speeds. That is the ultimate goal. We're not trying to trick people. So it's not like a trick that you'll just get a, a notice in the mail. There will be a sign saying there is a, a, a camera here. Cameras will only capture the rear license plates of vehicles traveling over the posted speed limit. Facial images of the driver, passengers, and pedestrians will not be captured. And so if you speed, if you go over the speed limit, the municipality will issue a speed detection notice, and that will be sent in the mail to the registered owner of the vehicle. And that will include the license plate number, the date and time, um, and the location of the violation, the direction, the speed the vehicle was traveling, and the posted speed limit. And so these, as I mentioned, will be sent in the mail to the registered owner of the vehicle. So no tickets will be issued during the pilot. These are speed detection notices. Um, Already over the weekend, I've seen messages on social media saying, oh, you know, we really need to issue the tickets, you know, the enforcement. Um, And that will come. But as we build out our 
I guess, more of a robust automated system. Uh, we really need you know, some of this data, and so this is kind of the most efficient way for us to get the data. Um, and so during the pilot over the summer, no tickets will be issued. Once we have a few weeks of data, we're going to be ramping up to design and implement our long-term solution in consultation with the municipalities, you know, based on their experience. And there's a lot of stakeholders, a lot of cogs in this wheel, municipal and provincial affairs, justice and public safety, the RNC, the RCMP, motor registration. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things to, to consider when we're implementing uh, a, a long-term solution. And so for the pilot, we're going to have lots of information available on our website, um, and I know the municipalities will as well, as well as a sample speed detection notice. So you will be able to go on and see a sample of what you'll expect to get in the mail if you pass one of the speed cameras um, and you get a notice in the mail. Paradise Mayor Dan Bobbitt makes no secret of the traffic problems in his town. I was pleased to be one of the first municipalities selected to pilot this program. The traffic data that we already have collected helps us identify problematic areas and indicates the speeding on Carlisle Drive, Broham Drive in Elizabeth Park, and on Carwood Drive is prevalent. Based on the research, our town engineers feel installing cam traffic cameras over the next three months will deliver the most benefit to curtailing speeding in the area for the future traffic calming measures in our community. The new traffic camera pilot program will use recorded data to issue warnings to speeding drivers as a first step. This process will allow our municipalities to set the stage for the monitoring road safety within our own boundaries. Our long-term goal is to be able to ticket individuals traveling above the posted speed limits. Speeding on our roadways is something that affects everyone, and we are pleased to work together to make them safer. This pilot project is setting the foundation for new traffic calming initiatives, one that will serve us for years to come. And I extend sincere thank you to Minister Studley for her work on the traffic camera pilot project and to the staff of the Town of Paradise for helping to get the initiative off the ground. I believe that collaborations like this can move us in the right direction to benefit our municipalities, the region, and the province. I'm looking forward to seeing the accomplishments of this program as it rolls out. Thank you very much. Mount Pearl Mayor Dave Aker says despite a lot of money on numerous actions to curb speeding, including speed humps, they haven't really made a significant dent in the problem. Reducing speed um, is a goal of the city of Mount Pearl, and we believe this is going to be very integral to it. I like to say that finally, with this new technology, the coyote is finally going to catch the roadrunner when it's all said and done. Right? Yeah, it is, yeah. So we're proud to support each other um, in this collaboration. Regional cooperation does work. Um, and I can assure the minister, as well as Mayor Bobbitt, uh, municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador will get an update this coming fall uh, as part of this whole process. Um, I want to thank everybody who's participated in the project, not just at the political level. Um, a lot of work has gone into it by our staff here in the city of Mount Pearl, as well as the town of Paradise in the minister's office with the provincial government. You can't believe the number of government departments alone that are involved in this initiative. Uh, and we'll work out, not the bugs, we'll work out the process at the end of the day uh, to ensure that those who speed in the city of Mount Pearl, the town of Paradise, ultimately get held accountable. I think that's the most important thing. So our data shows 
shows that you know our three hotspots that we'll be targeting during the pilot project this summer uh, are Park Avenue and Mount Pearl, along with Black Marsh Road and Michener Avenue. Um, and that's not just based on uh, on perception. We've done the data. We see that there's speeding occurring, um, and it'll be interesting to see the before and after. So I want to thank you all for coming here today. Thank you to the minister again and to Mayor Bobbitt for your leadership. And uh, we look forward to a, a new tom tomorrow in terms of traffic enforcement in both communities. Thank you so much. Now back to you, Linda. Well, thanks a lot, Brian. Uh, so speed cameras will be set up in Mount Pearl and Paradise this summer. Uh, and for now, they're not going to be issuing any fines. They're simply going to be uh, notifying people who are caught speeding uh, on these cameras. It will uh, take a picture of the rear license plate and a speed detection notice. It will be going out to the registered owner. And that begs the question, well, what about St. John's? Why is it just Paradise and Mount Pearl at uh, this particular time? And that issue came up in St. John City Council just a little while ago. Uh, Councillor uh, Carl Ridgely uh, wondered aloud why St. John's was left out of the pilot and while he applauds the decision to take on this kind of an approach to cutting down on speeding, um, he wanted to know why they were not uh, part of it. Well, uh, the mayor um, of St. John says... Um, uh, the city has been in favor of this kind of thing for a long time, but they were not aware of any uh, pilot study. So. Well, maybe in the future they will get on board. Well, I guess it will depend what oh, comes out of this. Yes. The, well, this could be the pilot project to find out if other communities, like you said, would, would follow suit. I'd like to see something like that on the Outer Ring Road. <laughs> well, there's lots of places in the around town, you isn't know, there? Or I even mean, anywhere people can drag race anywhere at all that uh, the speeds are just usually gone up and summer is a perfect time to do it and Kema Road with as much uh, traffic mm -hmm. and I mean we drive it every day every day, day. <laughs> yep um, with as much traffic as there is you still see people zip 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 zip, zip whoop, whoop, you know <laughs> I know I, it's I saw it sometimes. just a short while ago as someone speeding down Kemet Road mm -hmm. came into, you know, a line of traffic. Nope, not good enough. Zoop. Yep. <laughs> into the next lane. Around them. Zoop. Gone. You know, uh, it, why so impatient? I don't know. You know, I, I realize everybody has a different story. I like to think that there's a really, really good reason, but perhaps it's something so stupid that they got to be home to watch a certain show you know i i'd like to think it was something else but i don't know people are in a rush yeah i don't know but anyway it remains to be seen how this works be interesting for sure indeed uh, well that's it for us for today uh we will be back tomorrow so stay tuned for that tomorrow uh thanks for listening everyone